and welcome to Happy Place, where I invite people I admire onto the podcast, mostly to talk about how they get through life, but also because I just really like spending time with them and I really like talking. I'm Fern Cotton and today it's the turn of fashion designer Alice Temperley. Elegance is something that is quite hard to achieve when it's a, a sexy look but it, it again that's around the cut what part of the body are you showing if you've got a, a beautiful low back it's probably got a long skirt and if you've got um, a very short skirt on you're probably you're covering up something else and giving volume in a different way if you've not come across Alice Temperley before and her dreamy fantasy beautiful clothing do a little google now it'll be a great way to understand what makes her such a great british talent hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, better do the show, eh? Here it is. of Mayfair lies a very glamorous street with Alice Temperley's gorgeous shop and office too and that's where I'm going to be meeting her today. Alice Temperley's clothes are something that I've lusted over for years, occasionally saved up for to buy and on the rare occasion absolutely loved wearing I love everything that her brand stands for and how it appears. It just sells such sort of fantasy and glamour and freedom, I guess, as well. And that is something I love. And I sort of see her bits of clothes as pieces of art. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her today about her clothes, but also finding out a little bit more about the lady behind the eponymous brand. Hi, Alice Temperley. Hello, Fern Cotton. It's just a gorgeous experience, even walking into your shop. Like, I pass by it all the time, and I have popped in. But just to walk through on each floor and just see, like, the dazzling sequins and everything all colour-coded, it's just heavenly, quite frankly. Thank you. Do you like the motorbike in the window? I love the motorbike The good old Enfield. I'm quite liking that. And that pink, sparkly dress I have my eye on. (laughs) Let's go right back to the start. When did you first feel drawn to fashion? Do you think it's in your DNA that it was just always going to be this way that you... I'm not really drawn to fashion. I just like dressing up and the escapism of it. Yeah. So I was made clothes when I was a child. I used to cut my mum's amazing shawls up or get fabrics from local kind of offcuts of fabrics and make things because it made me feel less out of my kind of tomboy hand-me-downs. I was the farm girl. My dad wanted me to be a boy. Um, (laughs) So I was the farm girl, but it made me feel instantly kind of glamorous or different or it transported me. And then I got into um, black and white movies and I saw all kind of incredible costumes of Edith Head and, you know, and then also Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire Mm. flouncing around incredible kind of dance, uh, dance rooms. 
And um, and I just really, really liked all of that, you know, the bias cut, the satin, the feathers and all of that. And I just started making more and more clothes. And I just, yes, from an early age. So quite early on, you understood the transformative element of clothes and that they can make you really feel different. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's not really about fashion for fashion's sake or making a statement. It's about making beautiful clothes that reference the part, but they're, they're new and they also they kind of stand the test of time. But it's when you put something on, it's, it's I think, a woman designing for a woman, it's how it makes you feel. It needs to be sensual, not, not too much of a statement and just um, and super, super comfortable. And I think that... Um, yeah, that sort of feeling of fantasy. I mean, everybody's selling like a dream or sex or whatever. And it's about it's about us selling kind of a fairy tale. So it's ultimately really, really feminine. But it has that kind of storytelling, hence the motorbike in the window. That's my country roots. The tomboy is still there. Yeah. So I like the masculine and feminine. And I like the ultimate, really, really soft feminine. But I like mixing it with the masculine. And I hate being thought of a, a too feminine and a feminine way brand and I think it needs to be it needs to be mixed up with the suiting and the leather and the motorbikes and the kind of adventure to tell a kind of a story of you know just of being real and living and enjoying them and wearing clothes and enjoying them otherwise there's no fun in clothing basically I totally agree with you and I you know as a mum who dresses like a scruff bag a lot of the time I love that moment when you know there's something on the horizon where you need that transformation and you want to feel different and quite recently maybe this was like October last year I had this big fancy thing that I had to do and I was hosting and Stephen Fry was going to be there and Prince Harry was going to be there and I was quite nervous and I wanted and it was all about feeling I wanted to feel powerful yet also I guess a part of that sort of fantasy element and quite glamorous, which isn't naturally how I feel. And I squirreled away a little bit of money and I bought your oh, beautiful kind of mauve sequin jumpsuit and I wore it for that event and I felt amazing. I felt like a sort of mythical mermaid. And it did transform how I felt that evening. And I think for people that aren't necessarily into clothes or don't really think about them much you know, maybe those people aren't really sort of understanding that transformative element of, yeah, of dressing up. Only when you've sort of worn something like that and you see how you feel and the reaction you have towards it, then you kind of, you understand how powerful clothing can be. And it's not like our clothes make a statement, but they're, they're different and they kind of, they enhance and they make you feel and they're cut in a way that makes you feel sort of super comfortable and free but at the same time they're enveloping your um, body in in pattern or sequin or and it's all normally engineered to go with the with the body and the movement is very much allowing for a woman's tits and ass (laughs) (laughs) but in a in a way that the cut is how a woman wants to feel you know it's not restrictive it's um it's sort of flattering the woman's body and i think that's when it comes to a woman knowing how she wants to feel Mm. and i have tits and ass and you know how to kind of work around it but at the same time those silhouettes they work for they work for different body types and therefore they're very flattering that we cut for the just below the um rib cage which is always kind of i think the best point of a, a woman's body and that makes your legs feel more elongated and it makes you feel you know that's that's the part that i think is um is just important and the cut is is key it's really weird how clothing can massively change how you feel like if i wear a like a pencil skirt or a really short skirt with heels 
I just feel like a bit of a twat. Like, I don't feel sort of grounded, powerful and rooted, which is more important to me than feeling sexy or feminine. I want to feel grounded and clothes can be such a game changer in that way. Yeah, it's about feeling um, sexy in a, in not, not a demure, but a very ele- an elegant way. Because mm. sexy and overtly kind of brash way is really unattractive. You might as well be on the streets doing something naughty. But, um, <laughs> but they're in that, obviously, and you look at somebody like that and you, you question where they're from, what they're doing, but if it's done in an elegant way, it's just sort of timeless and, and elegance is something that is quite hard to achieve when it's a, a sexy look. But it, it, again, that's around the cut. What part of the body are you showing? If you've got a, a beautiful low back, it's probably got a long skirt. And if you've got um, a very short... Um, skirt on you're probably you're covering up something else and giving volume in a different way Um, because too little fabric just looks horrible and it's the cut and the volume that um, shows different parts of the body off and you can get it really wrong and it can look terrible in proportion and really slutty or it can look really really beautiful enhanced either the leg or the back but not everything at the same time yeah pick one and hone in on that yeah so when you were studying, you were at Central St. Martins and Royal College of Arts. Mm-hmm. At what point did you decide, this is absolutely what I want to do and I'm going to do it? Well, I never did, really. It was always because I made clothes and, and to get myself through college, I had to pay my, my, my fees. And so I knew that I could make things and I made clothes and all my printed fabrics into things and sold them. But I almost went into photography or interior print. The easiest way to make money was to make my fabrics into clothes, and therefore, and then I just did it, and I did one collection. All of a sudden, kind of here I am after keeping up with logistical um, things and um, and production, and then the amount of seasons, and then kind of everything else that kind of kind of is in the fashion industry because it's you know it's a, it's a tough industry. It's a fun mm. one when you enjoy making clothes, but it's. Um, it's never ending. So every three months, every three months, every three months, and the the appeal, which if I'd known earlier on, but of of like photography or the interior side of things, is um, it doesn't have to be seasonal. So I would still love to do that. I just need to find time to be able mm, to do that. You have no time. <laughs> and with that, with all the amazing uh, you know intellectual property that we've created over the years, we've got an amazing kind of wealth of information that we we still can do that. So that will be uh, another chapter. But um, that that kind of really excites me because the um, the skill and everything it's just it's so there's so much that goes into those garments even kind of hanging there. So where do you see things going? Like what do you feel like you you do want to tick off next? Like interiors definitely. I'm kind of wanting to do more customer facing events because the whole kind of the whole this sounds strange but the whole. Um, retail side of things is changing at the mm. moment so you've got your retail stores but it's about engaging with people it's about storytelling it's about customer facing events it's about i had a got a super exciting event for um for next summer planned um and it's just about showcasing kind of that fairy tale that dream creating kind of content show people what the brand's about because department stores you can have the rails within the stores but you have to be able to tell the story um, so that's a very exciting thing so through the kind of whole marketing that we're going to be working on. Um, and then obviously all the kind of the other things that I'd like to do will slowly be introduced, which is why I feel like we kind of haven't really started yet. We've got this amazing company, an amazing team, but I feel like we've just got so much more that we're going to start doing over the next sort of year or two. Um, and that's real focus on our bridal and our, our main collection. 
and putting all this incredible intellectual property into other things. There's a few really exciting projects that I can't actually tell you about yet, but I won't dig any deep yesterday. with that. One. Um, but uh, yeah, but it still feels like you know, there's, mm. it's 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 interesting the change of where people are going to be showing, how people are doing seasons, see now, buy now. And I just see this as an opportunity for quite a big shift in how you um, you run your business and you do things and you uh, communicate with your customer. Um, and I think people can just do a, a very formulaic, oh, everybody does it like that, so we should do it like that. Mm. And um, actually, that's not the case at all. So I feel like the whole way that people have been made to think about what they do, what they make, what their price points are, uh, what the brand stands for, um, how they communicate with people. It's just made us all kind of really reevaluate what we're doing and why. So that's quite exciting. Because I guess since you started out with your brand, how people shop and consume anything is so drastically different. It's been a real condensed amount of time that all this change has taken place. And there's these huge websites now where you can go and buy literally everything from one place. So for companies like you, I'm imagining it's of paramount importance that that storytelling and the experience of being part of, of what you're selling is key because you can just go online and go click buy. Whereas to walk into your shop or to buy online, you want to understand what that story is. How, how do you go about conveying what you're about as a brand? Are there sort of key things you have to really hit home with to, to let the customer know what your brand stands for? Yeah, I think through all of our um, films that we do and all of the imagery that we do, it's about making it kind of real. So the motorbike in the front window, for example, was the realness in, in um, the girl being actually on a motorbike and telling a little story about... It was a love story, actually. But she was in her dress on a bike and it was kind of the, uh, evoking kind of emotions of being liberation, being free, being a bit of kind of like a adventurer, a bit of wild child. And I think that who the woman is that wears Templi is really important to get across. It's relaxed. It's not too cons- like considered. We don't do our hair when we wear a beautiful dress. We don't match everything. It's a, it's a different way of dressing. And I think it's a very modern way of dressing now. Um, so it's just interesting to get that across in our filming. It's not the boho side of things. She's kind of she's stronger than that. She's a bit more sophisticated mm. than that. Um, so this sort of that filming is yeah, is the part that I really like. When you think back to when you were starting out and you were making your first collection. Did you realise, first of all, how much hard work it would be and how quick that turnover was going to be? Had you sort of underestimated that at that point? Oh, I had no idea. I, I started the business just me, and I was Lulu the bitch from accounts who used to chase up the invoices. <laughs> wasn't that much of a bitch, but I could get across on the telephone. Um, and then there was me, and then I worked with a friend of mine, Sophie, and then um, kind of it was us for a while, three of us, but actually two of us. Um, and then my ex-husband sort of joined joined us and then we kind of we grew and we grew and we kind of grew and I had no idea about the logistics no idea about the seasons the first fashion show I ever did was in um, a hall in um, Notting Hill because we were based there and um, I had amazing girls in the show and I don't know really still don't really know how that happened because it was new and it was exciting and lots of people came but I had no idea about the industry I didn't even know that you got reviews on Vogue.com the next day I thought oh that's nice but I didn't realise really how the industry worked and it was only very 
you know later on that we got involved with the British Fashion Council and and you know lots of seasons came on and um, and things kind of you know you just realise how kind of complex it is because you're not only as good as your last collection but you're you have to deliver on time and get the sell throughs through on time if the sell through deliveries are late then your sell throughs aren't as high and it's all kind of that mm. sort of number side of things with with a business that is is, is wholesale driven so it's so many complexities within the business that it's it's all logistical and people can imagine that's oh you know also glamorous um but actually the the back end i hate that sort of expression when we're talking about the process but um that sounds rude (laughs) (laughs) we know you we know you're alluding to um (laughs) the the whole sort of side of it the logistical side of it is 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 what this industry is about so keeping the fantasy alive and the dream alive and who it is alive and what you're doing is so important um and also you know we try not to do too much we're trying to be very focused with the collections um we're really looking at what our customer wants so we're just focusing a lot of that energy onto you know simplifying and simplifying the message and as you're growing as a brand over the years we've tried so many things and you learn so many lessons the hard way and you try and do too much because you think you can and then you know the 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 um economy changes as a recession you know might have a, a certain country that goes to war and drops off the of, of buying or you might have um member sars in asia remember that mm-hmm. um, yeah <laughs> or there's all these different factors yeah. that come in it has a huge impact and everything's changing and yeah. we're selling 37 countries so you know things are you know they they move it moves around as do from starting the business to now so does our supply chain it kind of evolves as the supply chain evolves um so there's just so many moving parts completely i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How do you get that balance right with the business side of it? Is that something you've had to sort of learn alongside it or has that come quite naturally too? Um, I've got an amazing team around me so I mean without a really good finance director which we finally got and without um, you know a good CEO I've got a really exciting new CEO just starting um, and then my t- my team my design director my head of product development my head of studio my head of retail they're all amazing so it takes a hell of a long time to build a team like that mm. and at the beginning you kind of learn your lessons and it takes a lot of time actually to get to a level where people of the right caliber actually want to come and work for you um, and then if you eventually kind of gain sort of that respect and they kind of get excited and then you get an amazing team and that team just sort of improves and they grow with you so we're at that amazing stage now where we've we've tried all those lessons and um, learned from all of those lessons um, and um, everything is very, very coherent, and the team's very, very good. So now I can focus on what the next thing is. But for many, many years, you're just you, you are juggling sort of it, juggling mm. and problem solving, and it's knackering. And I don't think kind of you know things can fall by the wayside that are important. Um, and my main thing now is kind of really focusing on you know 
being with my child, mm-hmm. <laughs> being a mum, yeah. and, um, and having this amazing team kind of do what they're brilliant at doing. Um, but the business side of things, you just, because there are so many changing parts um, within collection, buyers, wholesale, retail, e-com, everything, you just, you are kind of on all the time. Yeah, you have to be. And also, because it's got your name on it, so you are, that is you, and you're putting yourself out there and your name, and you want to be completely on that the whole time. What mistakes did you make and what big lessons did you learn growing in this process? Um, Biggest mistakes, I think, is just always for me to be able to escape into my work. So you can become a workaholic within this industry, absolutely. And I think that's why there's not that many women in it at sort of um, creator director level of uh, or founders of brands without a partner because it is so... It's so full on on your um, uh, sort of brain capacity and energy yeah. and everything. And your life. And your life. And that's that's the most important thing. Um, so when you've got children involved mm. and things like that. And I'm a single mum, so it's it's really, really tough to, to juggle. So your priorities have to be kind of very, very, very firm. Hence having to have a great team and people that support you around you. So I think... The difficulties for me, especially, has just been sort of juggling it as a mother because it is so it is very very full on, um, and making sure there's no guilt attached to either side. You're not kind of avoid, avoiding kind of responsibilities, whether it's business or or child. So that has taken a long time to be able to juggle. Um, Do you feel at peace with that one? Because I I personally still struggle with that now. I've got two kids under five and. I do often feel guilty that I'm either not applying myself as much as I could be at work and then equally with being a present mum. And I think all of us do struggle with getting that balance. And it's got to be a very bespoke balance, but it's still very tough to kind of have the confidence to go, no, I've made this decision and I feel good about it. Mm, I made the decision recently to move my boy to countryside so he's there for four days a, a week and so am I um actually he's there all the time I'm there four days a week so I'm the one that commutes yeah I'm the one that has to go away and, and stay in the smelly old London to do my work <laughs> <laughs> and therefore he how now has his fresh air he can be a farm boy he Gorgeous. can be down there and that to me was the best thing that I've done in the last kind of well his entire life he's nine but you kind of wonder why I haven't done that earlier. And it's because of the pressures that works, because you feel like you need to be there. And actually the most important thing is that little person you're looking after. So unless I can work myself around it, and I can work from home a few days a week with the amount that we're on our computers, researching, thinking, and then in London for three days a week, I'm just meetings, 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 meetings. Mm. And then... Um, get myself in pieces back on the train and yeah. there and be a, be a, be a mum but that's it there's but no break is there balance, you're yeah. going from one really high octane intense situation of of running this huge ship to then you know being a mum and being there for that little person emotionally and physically do you get to the point of fatigue where you're like I just need a second to myself like most mums I think I certainly do just feel quite overwhelmed a lot of the time luckily my family's close so I can just not say good <laughs> heaven but, um, yeah it's uh, but being down there is very different because London is so full yeah. on frenetic and busy and then that is just very 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 quiet which mm. is great but I think that was one my the balance is one lesson and then the other lesson is people just try to do too much yeah they think more is more and more is more. And um, people can say that without about our patterns. There's a lot in there, more. And that's why the silhouettes are often simple. 
but also within the collection is having less and just offering less because the less you offer the more people buy into and the more sensible it is for business so I think that my advice to anybody stepping out in fashion is just don't do too many products just keep it simple keep it simple um and then other lessons learned are um yeah, trying to do too much at recession <laughs> recession time. Mm. So we launched a diffusion line and just confused everyone because we all of a sudden did double the amount of product. And um, that, for me, was knackering because I just had a child. So that was that was another thing, it was just launching too much. And, yeah, so it's just all about simplification, I think, for everybody. People live the way people work. Um, and I think over those years, especially pre-recession, everybody's just trying to do too much, too much, yeah. too much. And what happens when you have something like recession, you reconsider everything and you really, really focus. Has there have been points in your career where it has felt too much and you just thought, actually, I want to jack this in and have a peaceful life in the countryside? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. lie. <laughs> um, I mean, God almighty, I would love to have a few months off or have a... Uh, you know a, a good support a good support but I've always been a, I've always been a worker and I've always been you know a mum mm. and um, god yeah I'd like some kind of a man hot look, yeah like, like arriving on some sort of stallion and saying <laughs> I'm going to rescue you for two months <laughs> Yeah, why not in my fairy tale because you obviously had this like beautiful bucolic um, idyllic lifestyle when you were growing up in the countryside and your family are all still there right now mm. um so were you always going to kind of be drawn back to that part of the world do you think yeah that's where my house is and um and that that can also be another issue for, us, for strong people not understanding that draw when people haven't had a very important kind of childhood with a very close-knit family you know we're a bit like one of those really close italian families Love that meet that. up every lunch at mm. sunday and we are always kind of in each other's businesses and in, in, in a nice lovely way and there's loads of children running around and it is very kind of free-spirited and very easy and very relaxed but some people find that closeness also to a family quite difficult, especially if they don't have a family of their own or they're a single child or they're not used to having lots of children around and they don't understand that they can't have all of your attention. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just life, isn't it? I mean, the, way, the complexities of, yeah. of all of these factors. I'm like, I think I'm, I'm of an age now where I think, oh, my God, people around me are younger and people I'm hiring are way younger than me and I always used to be the youngest. And you actually think, God, I'm getting, um, I'm getting older and I've only just opened my eyes to how complex so many mem- parts of life are because I've been in my little work bubble. Yeah, and you've been so busy. fairy tales here, making things and yeah. being busy. So, you know, maybe some of these people saying you're too busy is, is true. So I'm trying to, I've taken my... Uh, my foot off and I'm allowing this amazing team to you know be in charge of what they're doing and um is that hard sort of to looking do? around no because I, I yes it was always really really hard before but is it but hard only now when you get a good team mm. no it's not hard if you totally um you trust and you also respect um you know their experience and their their talent and their um honesty and it's all about honesty and kind of kindness if you just you know it's a mutual respect for each other and you get let people get on with it but was I a control freak in the past absolutely (laughs) 
Well, that's, I guess, the, the balance that you have to get, isn't it? Because obviously, if you are passionate and you care about something greatly, there is the draw to micromanage everything. And we all do that in our lives to some extent. I can do that a little bit with parenting sometimes. Um, but because I care a lot, and I think to let go and trust other people can be difficult, especially when it's yours and it's got your name on it. But you've got the right team. And you also realise that you just can't be a control freak forever. And I, yeah. I need to look at other things or focus on other things. And sometimes if I don't have somebody in the right area, then obviously I focus on that more. It's just such a relief to have those things taken away when they can be. Because you are a close-knit family and you've grown up in that way, which seems to be very grounded and family-orientated, how do you feel you fit into the fashion industry? And is it as a lot of people would imagine? Because I'm very much an outsider. I'm, I love clothes. I love buying clothes. And I love buying into the fantasy of what they bring and dressing up. But I often feel like the fashion industry afar can be elitist or comes across as being alienating. Have you been on the receiving end of that? Or is it not as I imagine? I think the fashion industry it, well, it's a complex industry and there are a huge amount of ego, egos within it. And actually, weirdly, the, the biggest egos uh, are people that kind of want to be in the fashion industry but aren't actually really good at their jobs. Mm. So the best um, the magazine editors are always really lovely, as are the best stylists. Um, and, um, you know, there are a lot of people in the industry that are really incredible people. But um, it has a reputation of being kind of you know, a bit cutthroat, a bit bitchy, a bit whatever, um, but not in my team. Everybody's very down to earth and everybody's sort of sort of slightly, which just gets on with with doing everything. Um, but there are definitely parts of the industry that are just sort of quite, you know, things are expected to move in a pace and you're expected to mm. sort of fit in and you just have to stay away from that. And I, I do, and that's my brand and my, my reality. Um but yeah, it can suck you up and can be very sort of destructive for people. And that's people, you know, the modelling industry is another whole thing. And um, it can be, um, you know, I just, I worry as long as it doesn't take over like the fashion side of things and clothes is one thing. But the main thing I worry about is the sense of young girls' identity with fashion and celebrity and how all that happens and the destruction of people's sort of mind with social media mm. and fashion is guilty for that as well because when fashion gets shot it's obviously done in a very airbrushed fantasy sort of way which is why we like the motorbikes mm. by the way <laughs> keeping it real yeah um so that whole glossy side of fashion has a kind of a lot to answer for um and i worry if you know if i had a daughter i'd be very worried about all of that exposure that she gets now through the social channels but that is a whole other debate discussion it is it is um, but it is a worrying one and I guess you know you being very clear on what your brand stands for again can remedy that because you want it to be fantasy but it is overtly a fantasy like you're telling people yes this is a fantasy so you're not there's no mistake you're not pretending it's reality you're saying that that's what it is and also you are adding a toughness to it it's not all about uber femininity or glamour it is mixing up lots of different feelings and and that's what you're presenting clearly to people yeah i think it's the glamour side of things exactly that is the dangerous part and ours is all a bit kind of undone and the hair's not right and they certainly don't have loads of makeup on and they kind of can have bare feet and it's about being glamorous without having that whole other side of things so it's been feminine and it's been sexy but it's not that whole very 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 um manicured over filtered um 
over overly made up um love island? glossy <laughs> i know i've never watched an episode of love island i'm it's, gonna watch it's it. what you're saying my, my sister it's what you're saying yeah, yeah, my sister was like <laughs> you will be addicted because it is so bad it's uh it's actually really good yeah um, but that but I is haven't watched full. It. I haven't watched it. So we're not that. No. You're the <laughs> antithesis of the Love Island look, without a doubt. Do you think your need to be in the countryside and your life there now with your boy is very much a remedy to the fast-paced craziness of the industry you're in? Yeah, absolutely. And just being out and being able to kind of think and have that space um, and, you know, arriving and putting on my dungarees and mm. sort of knocking about thinking laying things out being inspired by things and just having that silence is an antithesis just not only of being in London and the kind of noise and kind of hecticness that is London and work um it just kind of it's just a reality check and as is um just yeah keep your feet on the ground definitely Mm. I think I don't know about you but for me um that's kind of naturally happened over the years that as I'm in my late 30s now and I do need to be outside, fresh air. I want the simple things in life to balance out the crazy fun stuff that I also love, but I do need to have both to just stay centred, really. Do you think that's something that's come over experience and time for you? Yeah, and I couldn't live in the countryside all the time. Yeah. Um, And I have to make sure that when I'm in London, I plan some stuff that's really fun. Practicing your sister ignore for football later. Love that. Um, <laughs> um, and then have to just planning proper fun. And then yeah. when I go home, I'm just planning proper stuff for the kids. So it might be camping on the beach under the stars mm. with a kind of little kind of fire. Or it might be, um, you know, going on a really long cycle ride or whatever it is. But it's just planning stuff in both places. And then you don't feel like you're bipolar with having one extreme to the other. You've kind of, you've got plans. And it makes sure that you see your friends and you kind of, um, yeah enjoy enjoy the best of both definitely it might be late in a bar one morning and one night here and it might be getting up really early and watching the sunrise and somerset but it's just yeah living yeah it's just getting getting that balance and i think having those simple things i think i certainly started out my career when i was a teenager but in my 20s kind of thought oh it has to be all shiny and amazing and high octane and then actually then you go ah but a lot of the good stuff is the quiet time and is the silence is that where do you get your ideas is that within that quiet time do you need to be in a certain headspace to creatively think and and have that fluidity you need to create a collection oh weirdly my team says i'm best when i'm hungover because then I'm focused <laughs> um, no she, they did they did recently just because when I went in and we were fitting I'm just focused on one thing at a time I don't have too much energy mm. and we kind of really kind of focus and it really you just zone into one area Love but that. that but actually that that was through fitting processes but actually to um <laughs> to be more creative I need to be rested and yeah. also I need to have like just sort of quiet where you just can empty your brain and often when I'm having a massage, really, weirdly, I'll always wake up and I'll write stuff down. But it's just when you sort of, when you zone out. So I should meditate more. Because mm, you need to kind of almost get rid of all of that chatter and that head fog yes, and just have noise. that clarity. Yeah, that's what I found in London, which turned me like a bit bonkers on numerous occasions. Where you, you work really hard, you're, you're trying to get out of town at the weekend, you're, you're trying to kind of keep everything happy and do everything. And there was just no silence at mm. all from... It was just full on. And now I can just unplug Love. and plug back in again. And um, the noise of it all, I just, it just did, did send me around the bend once or twice. 
Do you ever get like a block with creativity and it's just the ideas aren't coming and you get a bit stuck? Um, no, because the seasons evolve and the, the girl evolves and she travels and she might be in Positano or Cannes or whatever and we just tell a storyteller about day to night through each one and then it might be referencing different photographers like Slim Aarons or it might be about Amelia Earhart because we want her to be flying. So the creative side, we're, all, we're always working on three collections at the same time. Bonkers. So, in fact, we're about to shoot the fourth one, which was the last one. We're actually on four, so you're shooting one. One's being sold, just like this one around, just finishing selling market. The next one's been made, and you're designing the next one. So you basically have storyboards of who she is, where she is, what your colours are, what your details are, what your prints are, and that kind of that evolves. And as long as you're really organised and you're really clear, and the sort of the planning of it all, you know what you're doing week by week. I know when I'm colouring up one, I know when we're fitting, and I know when we're doing everything. Just means you don't get much time off, but <laughs> you have to be all about organisation. Yeah. Um, and the, you know that when you design a fabric, you've got to need to know it's the right price. It's going to get delivered in time. It's going to be no hold back and wash properly. It can all of these things. So, um, you know, it's 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 just all about planning. Yeah, all about the planning. Yeah. You're obviously so top of your game where you're at in your career now. Do you feel successful? No, not at all yet. That's mad. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm very lucky to have, you know, amazing family and amazing team mm. business. Yeah, what is success? It's the quiet times with friends I see as being kind of like a success, that mm. enjoyment. And it's that living side of things. I know that I really, really need a holiday. Mm-hmm. And maybe then I'll be like ready to come back in September and go, right, let's go for it. But you're just, you're always on. So it's very hard to be sort of, and I never want to sort of sit on my laurels and go, God, this was so great. Because you're always creating, always creating. I love that you just said that because I think most people out there who are either starting in something new or have big dreams will just assume that success is the end bit, which is, you know, a big company, a huge job title, money, fame, whatever weird tags that we've put on success. But I am very much an advocate of what you just said, that it is those quiet moments and those real moments. And I luckily love my job and I see that as the success. The success is the fact that I go to work excited and I want to do the job. It's not that I might have landed a new TV thing or whatever. It's I'm having a nice time. And I think starting out, it's quite important to know that rather than just aiming for something that you never really reach I guess no it's all about kind of that balance and sometimes it took me a long time to realize that hence sort of losing things that were close to me or it's just it is about balance about getting up in the morning and just knowing how you're going to going to get through your day and have time for yourself and loved ones and the child and everything and that balance is is kind of key to health it's key to happiness and as long as you've got the balance in life there are always going to be complexities there are always going to be issues that arise but if you've got the balance you can cope with it and if you have a right the right balance then you're you're happier because you can cope if you don't have a balance you're fucked you are (laughs) and I think also the assumption that if you are a very successful human being in your career that therefore you are immune to those complexities of life which is of course utter bollocks like you're still gonna have to deal with sadness and sorrow and loss and anger and whatever else is going on but people assume that it's almost like the success is a buffer to all of those things and it's not you're still going to get them 
Yeah, and no, I think you are, and I think that's another curse of our social media digital yeah. world is that everybody thinks that everybody's got these sort of glossy, amazing lives, and they don't realise people also go through the same kind of emotions and the same losses and the same struggles as everybody. They don't have... It's not, not all glossy, not for, for anybody. No, of course not. Focusing on those glossier moments, if you look back at your career, was there a defining sort of seminal moment where you were really proud or felt hugely successful or it was just a real moment for, for you and your team? Well, when I got my letter from my for my MBE, I, might, I thought my assistant was winding me up. I was like, don't be so silly. She, goes, oh. she was, had a really posh accent. She's called Zoe. And she goes, hmm, Alice, I think you should read this. And I was like, what is it, Zoe? She goes, it's a letter from the Queen. And I was like, oh, don't be so ridiculous. Don't be so ridiculous, Zoe. And I just carried on kind of walking. She said, no, 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 I really mean it. I was like, don't be so ridiculous. Anyway, and it was the letter. And I said, do you think it's real? And then we, we kind of questioned the fact. And then we had to phone to make sure that the letter was real. Brilliant. So that was really fun for the team. And I think that I, I, was, I still don't know kind of what I did to deserve that. But that was we got that about six years ago. And I think other parts were when um, Annie Leibovitz sent a kind of was sent by Anna Winter for American Vogue and a massive articulated lorry that blocked up the entire street outside the house for ages while like lighting rigs came out and a team of about 30 people came out just to shoot me and my family sitting on my kitchen table. Wow. It's quite funny. That's so that incredible. was quite... And I didn't realise kind of what a big deal that sort of was at the time because it was, it was quite a big piece. There have, been, there have been a few big things and sometimes you don't really realise how kind of key they were in like the brand building um but i think um with the show everybody's just excited the business everybody's just excited about the latest show and then those monumental things that obviously put you on a map whether it's in america or with the mbe after the name which i still think is really funny i love I the fact that, that you were shocked that. though that's brilliant i think that says so much about you and what you do as a brand that that you had to check it that it was real <laughs> Yeah, and I That's definitely brilliant. had to check it was real. That's so, like, beyond us. But as an outsider, you go, well, of course. But I guess for you, you're just you in your life, trying your best, doing your thing. And I guess you're not really aiming for something like that. It's one of those wonderful surprises that pops up. Yeah, it was a, definitely a treat. And the Queen gave it to me, and that was really nice. I forgot to curtsy. I forgot to take my hat off. I did all of that. Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, no, it was a good day. Wow. <laughs> Do you ever suffer with negative mental chatter do you have sort of a, an inner critic that is overcritical when it shouldn't be are you do you sort of berate yourself if you haven't succeeded in a way you thought you might yeah absolutely I'm a, you know as a woman I think you do that sometimes anyway especially within um, questioning of your, your your balancing of everything do I have the negative thing? I try now. I try to make it positive, but certainly in the past, when you're knackered and exhausted, you can find everything kind of. You, you can be very overwhelmed very easily, and therefore, when you're overwhelmed, that negativity sort of, like, how am I going to cope, comes in. And now it's just you have to learn how to sort of step out of that. You have to think about, you know, clearing the mind, not having the chatter. You have to exercise. You have to be able to have that space in the countryside. And I think. That has totally and utterly um, levelled me out, having that, that peace and that quiet. And it's certainly something before I've had to, to deal with is that mental chatter. And I think lots of people can have um, 
kind of, and you know, I know lots of people with a mental health thing, and you have to be very careful in today's modern society that you really look after yourself because if you don't, you're absolutely going to be in the line for that overexhaustion, working too hard, pushing yourself too hard, too many expectations. And you know, I'm very, very aware that the damage of what the damage can be, and I've been there a few times. Um, but it is all about balance, and that's all I'll say to anybody who's got a business mm. and a woman and and um, and, a, and children is that uh, you know if you if you come off balance, then you're absolutely going to face that. Yeah, and you're no use to anyone. Your business, your kids. It's, you're no use yeah. to absolutely anybody. And I've been at a point where I've had to kind of go away because like, you have to go and have a rest, and you have to kind of re-put your reprogram yourself and re-get yourself strong again because when you have hits or heartbreak, it can be a lot more. You take it a lot more um, heavily than than um, than you should maybe. But you have. That's why yeah, balance and looking after yourself is so 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 important because everything yeah. is moving so fast. Um, you have to slow it down. You have to step out of it. So I think kind of retreats a few times a year where you have no phone, no internet, no noise, no people are really, really important. And I do that once a year. Mm. And if I, if I don't, I missed it actually last year, you kind of you, you suffer the consequences mm. of not kind of like clearing out your own hard drive. Definitely. And I think it's such a shame that we almost put that sort of general well-being at the bottom of the pile because we are all striving or trying to be better or whatever and we forget about the basics and and that is so so important um you're obviously massively motivated because you love what you do and maybe that's just part of who you are as well that you are a very motivated person but what do you think drives you each day when you get up what is giving you that impetus to get up and and do what you do and work so hard just building a brand, keeping it kind of going, making sure that everything is sort of oiled and moving, making sure the team's happy, um, and doing it all because I'd like to build a kind of heritage brand that's here that stands for after when I, after I've gone. You know, I do it because I'm looking after my son. I'm doing it because obviously everybody works because you know they have to work, and I'm doing it because I'm passionate and I have to work and I and I support my little boy. Um, so I work for, get up for the same reasons as everybody else and I'm passionate about it and I'm really you know inspired by the people around me and believe in it well Alice thank you so much for letting us into your beautiful sparkly palace today um, to have a chat it was so so enjoyable thank you very much for coming thank you Thanks again to the wonderful Alice Templey, um, an amazing and inspiring woman, just a dream to talk about business and juggling life and what Alice has created. Some quick Happy Place Festival news for you. If you're planning to come to Tatton Park in Manchester to see us, Saturday is now sold out, which I am thrilled about. If you've got tickets already, I can't wait to see your smiley, gorgeous faces there. But look, don't worry, there is still Sunday, the 8th of September, which is also a family day, so you can bring your kids. I've got loads of brilliant child-friendly activities planned, food and workshops, as well as great talks for you to enjoy, and also adult only classes if you're coming without kids and we're in Chiswick House in London on the 3rd and 4th of August book now to avoid disappointment because tickets are flying but there are a few left just for you head to happyplacefestival.com next week on the podcast we meet the brilliant Juno Dawson 
I will say this, you know, in the early days of my transition, I made some errors in judgment. You know, I was a bit kid in a candy shop. I was like, oh my God, I can wear whatever I want now. And I wore some stuff that really didn't suit me. And I looked, I mean, I think it was the Glamour Awards in 2015 where I looked like Ronald McDonald. I mean, let's be really clear about that. I did not look good. Until then, thanks again to Alice, to the producer, Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you for listening. Massively appreciated as always. I'll see you next week. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.